How many have seen the movie The Princess Bride? If you haven't seen it, it's a classic. Because it talks about what? True love, right? And we all want to have true love. I mean, I think that that's a a given for every person that's been born. God placed in each one of our hearts a longing and a desire to love. We want to be loved by someone. I mean, it's really sad when, when you hear of someone who has, doesn't have anyone to love them. But God also placed in us a longing to love. He, want, he, he, he built this thing inside of us to where we want to give love, but we also want to receive love. And so it's, a, it's almost sometimes really complicated and complex how that works out in our lives because sometimes we give love to people and it's like hugging a porcupine, if you know what I mean. It's just all prickly and it's not a lot of fun, but yet God still calls us to love them. And sometimes we receive love from people that we're not really sure we want their love. And so we've got this thing going on and... And last week, we kind of took a look at the four major areas of love, and I'm just going to hit them up real quick. Philios is the love of friendship. Eros is the love of romance. Storge is the love between family members. And agape is the love of choice and commitment, choosing to love another person. And in the New Testament, the writers picked that word, ergos, eros, no, agape, sorry, Agape love to express God's love to us because God's love to us is so unconditional. There isn't anything. The Bible tells us there's nothing that when we come into fellowship with God, there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God. There isn't anything, not life or death or angels or demons. There is nothing that can separate us from God's love. And and sometimes we take a look at ourselves and we think about, who we are and what we've done and how we've behaved, the things that we've thought, the things that we've said, and we think to ourselves, how can God love a wretch like me? We're just baffled by it. And yet God smiles and he says, I don't love you because I need to. I love you because I want to. God wants a love relationship with you. And and so this word that we're looking at, uh, agape Love is it, it reps, represents unconditional love, choosing to love another person regardless of how you're feeling towards them. That's agape love. Because you know what what happens a lot of times is we get uh, caught up in uh, in the feeling side of things, and so that's why this agape love is so important for us to understand. Is because in you can't. Uh, philios or eros or storge love your enemy. You can't do it. But you can with agape love. That's the crazy thing about this love that God has poured out on us is that we can actually love our enemies. And so when Paul describes the character of love in these verses, he's talking about agape love. And as we study Paul's description, it, it becomes clear that he's not talking about some warm, fuzzy feeling that, that wells up with inside of us that makes us have this connection with other people. What he's talking about and describes in agape love using in, in verses 4 through 7 is that he uses a series of 15 different verbs 
to describe agape love. The love Paul's talking about is not primarily something you feel, but something you do. We may not always be able to control our feelings, but we can control what we do. And and most of the time, we can even control, um, to some extent, our motivation behind it. But this is the love that we're talking about, agape love, unconditional love that we, we give without expectation. It's what you choose to do or not to do. And by the way, God measures the entirety of your life by that love. So we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 7. So let me just read those. We're going to read the whole passage. Then we're going to come back and unpack it a little bit together. Okay. So love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's quite a definition of love. So as we look at these various qualities of love together this morning, I want to encourage you, if you have a pen with you, to take your pen out because on the uh, question sheet that you have, if you flip it over and look on the back side, you are going to see right there two headings, my love strengths and my love weaknesses. And as we go through these, these verses together and we talk about the different aspects and characteristics of love, what I would like you to do is as we're talking about one of those characteristics is to take on that sheet and, and put it under one of those two columns. It's either a strength or it's a weakness. And then we're going to come back to that at the end of our, uh, of our time on the message. So uh, keep track of that and, and I'll remind you as we go along. But Paul begins with two verbs which describe positively what love is. Then secondly, he gives a series of seven verbs which describe negatively what love is not. And thirdly, he gives this contrasting statement to to describe love. Love does this, not this. And then fourthly and finally, he describes four things that love always does, always does. And so we're going to walk through that. and, and, And so this morning, first of all, Paul begins with these two verbs which describe positively what love is. Love is patient and love is kind. Now, when we read this this verse in English, it sounds more like an adjective than a verb. But it's not. What he's describing is not so much what love is, but how love acts. Patience, uh, love acts patiently. Love acts kindly. So going back, if we go back to last week's message where we took a look at the first three verses, you, you'll remember that we talked about if you speak in the tongues of men and angels and have, if you have the most incredible spiritual gifts, if you make the most noble sacrifices, but do not practice patience and kindness towards others, then you're nothing. You have nothing and what you've done amounts to nothing. That falls on the heels of the first three verses. 
What Paul's saying is that this love is what drives us, and patience is that part that he starts with. It's, I find it quite interesting that that's the first word he uses to describe patient or love is patience. It's, it's that word, patience. How many of you have ever regretted praying and asking God to give you patience? Yeah, we've got a couple honest people here. Everybody's hand should have gone up because as soon as you ask for patience, something comes along that's going to get on your last nerve. And you'll be, find yourself not being very patient. And so I know a lot of people have said to me, I'm never asking God for patience. Well, you don't have to ask him. He'll give it to you anyway. And it's interesting how he does it. But here, this word is a, a description of love. And the word it means to bear, it means this, to bear patiently with other people's faults and offenses. It means that we are to be long-suffering, as it were. And this first characteristic of agape love is totally unconditional. That's what it's, it's pointing out. It's choosing to love another, not because of who they are, but in spite of who they are, we step in and we love them. And, and it's not for what they've done or will do. We just love them unconditionally. It's a love which understands the frailties of human nature and refuses to take offenses. It, it's a love which sees the potential in people and does not demand that they be mature and growing immediately. It's a love that is a, a that, that uh, continues to desire the best of other people. They look to see the best in other people, and that's what this love does. And it, it even when others slander or abuse it, it is love. And remarkably, it's just like God's love. Don't you think that God's been pretty patient? I mean, we just think about all the stuff that goes on in and around our world. And we think, God, how long? How long are you going to put up with this? When are you going to do something? And we, we often think that way. But do you ever take time to think about how patient God's been with you or with, with me? I've thought a lot about that uh, in recent days, about God's patience for me in my life and the things that are going on. And Peter wrote a bunch of, of you know, letters. And in his second letter, in chapter 3, he said this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So there, what we think God being slow in his judgments and whatever else he's doing, it's God is taking his time and he's being patient because he wants people to come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is. Paul wrote to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he said this, I am the worst of sinners. He pretty much was. I'm second. He's first. I'm second. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me... As the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those 
who were to believe in him for eternal life. Do you remember the story about Paul? Before he was Paul, he was Saul. He was persecuting the bride of Christ. He was going after and making life miserable for the bride of Christ. For, for Christ's followers, all over the Roman Empire, he was going and he was killing them and he was torturing them and he was putting them in prison and God got a hold of his life and God was very patient with Paul. And we see what happens when God's patient with somebody. He grows them into being this person who does marvelous things for the kingdom of God. God is love, therefore God is patient with us. And that's Paul's appeal to us. That's what he's he's wanting us to get, is that if we are going to be in Christ, the love of Christ is patience. Second, love is kind. It's been said, not by me, I took this from someplace I don't even know where I got it. The greatest thing a man can do for his heavenly father is to be kind to some of his other children. Kindness. It's it's not really that difficult to be kind. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort. It's not a lot of work. But it has to be intentional. You have to be intentional about being kind to other people. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Caring enough to be kind. Sometimes just a word of kindness is enough for some people. Proverbs 12.25 says, An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. Love practices acts of kindness to others. It's really simple. Loving acts of kindness. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Back when I was a youth pastor, I heard about this thing that was going on somewhere else in the world. And so I started, uh, I tried to incorporate it with uh, the youth group that I was ministering to. And we called it Random Acts of Kindness. Now, their thought of random act of kindness was totally different than what the whole world thought. Because they could get into my car, put it in neutral, and push it a block away from the church and park it. That was their random act of kindness towards me. Not that kind, I didn't think. Um, The world that we live in really isn't a very kind place right now. I mean, you probably would agree with me in that. People say and do so many hurtful things, and we need a lot more kindness in our world. Make it a point to be kind to others let it be spontaneous with with no hesitation if you can think it then you can do it in kindness kindness is powerful medicine for a hurting world many people will remember for a lifetime a kind act somebody did for them There's this old poem that goes like this. I shall pass through this world but once. Any good thing, therefore, that I can do or any kindness that I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer it nor neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Patience is, or love is patience, love is kind. And these two uh, descriptions of love are passive And they are active responses towards God. God is described as being both patient and kind. 
God holds back his wrath and pours forth his mercies on those who do not deserve it. In Romans, Paul speaks of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience and how God's kindness lends, leads us towards repentance. So thank God for his patience, then be patient. Praise God for his kindness and then be kind towards others. Start with your family. Then, then go and move towards your fellow faith sojourners. Be kind to your neighbors, your co-workers. Be kind to fellow students. Be kind to strangers. That's what love is when we step into that kindness. Are you keeping your list? Is patience a strength or a weakness? Is kindness in there somewhere, one of those two? Jot it down, put it somewhere. They belong somewhere, one of those two spots. And we'll just move right along. Paul just has shown two positive characteristics of love. Now in this next section, it's a little bit longer, but now Paul uses seven verbs to describe love negatively. What love does not do. And the first one is love does not envy. The word here is a strong word that Paul uses which literally means to burn with zeal. But when applied negatively, it means to burn or boil with envy. We envy many things. A person's position in life, their possessions, maybe their appearance. We can even envy another person's spiritual gifts or ministries that they're involved in. But love does not envy because love is glad for what the other person has what they're doing, and what they look like. That's what love does. We celebrate when we are expressing love. We celebrate what people are doing. We don't envy them at all. You cannot love someone and envy them at the same time. Envy causes us to treat others in wrongful ways. If you think about Joseph in the Old Testament, the the boy with a coat of many colors, his brothers were envious of him and his and his father's love that he showed to him. And so they threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. The New Testament writers tell us that the that envy was what caused the spiritual leaders in Jesus' time to hand him over to be crucified by the Romans. It was envy. And in Proverbs um, 14.30, it says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. It's poison to be envious of other people. It it, it does something to your body, but it also does something to your mind, and you stop seeing things the way God wants you to see them. The next one that comes up is love does not boast. If envy is desiring what another person has, boasting comes from a desire for others to see what you have. Sometimes a person boasts truthfully about themselves. But more times than not, there's a little bit of fabrication and a stretch of a lie. Exaggeration. Did you know that exaggerating something is lying? It is. I could tell you that I'm six foot two. Maybe standing on this platform. I could tell you that, you know, well, you know, I'm five, nine and three quarters with shoes on. And it's still a lie. 
It's an exaggeration, but it's a lie. And that's what happens when people start to boast about themselves. It, it, the, the, the Greek word means to exaggerate or, or to display yourself, brag about yourself. The literal term is, is that you become a windbag. Now, some of you are laughing because you either know a windbag or you are the windbag. I'm not making any judgments. Um, Some people always feel the need to take center stage when they've got other people around. They talk louder. They kind of make stuff up. They do all kinds of things because they have this this need that they feel isn't being met. They, They have a need for people to admire them for whatever great thing that they've done. They look what they can get from others rather than being able to give to others. And you cannot boast and love at the same time because boasting is concerned with yourself. Where love is concerned with others. Now, closely related to boasting is the issue of arrogance. It says love is not arrogant. The word actually means inflate. You could translate it, love does not puff itself up. Boasting is pride acting outwards in relationship to people. Arrogance acts inward toward in relation to yourself. It is the act of puffing yourself up in your own eyes until you feel superior, so superior to others that you cannot possibly love them. This kind of pride breeds critical and judgmental spirit that has no patience with others And no desire to act kindly. Love does not envy. It does not boast. And it is not arrogant or proud. The next pair of verbs tells us that love is not rude. Nor does it insist on its own way. When Paul writes love is not rude. He uses a word which means to act disgracefully or dishonorably. It means to violate the accepted standards of behavior. In a way that you make other people feel uncomfortable. Paul, what Paul's talking about here is just common courtesy. And, and this is the love in relationship in society. We are social beings living in a community. And as such, we have certain social customs and expectations. Love cares enough about people that it seeks to respect those bonds. Immodest dress. Offensive language. Disrespect for others. All those are examples of general rudeness. And it is incompatible with agape love. Therefore, love does not dress or speak or act in a way that defies general standards uh, and offends other people. Now, I, I realize that that's not really that popular to say that thing, especially in such an individualistic culture that we live in. But most people take the attitude of this. I'll do whatever I want. And if you don't like it, tough. But a person who steps into love says, I will do whatever ministers. And if I don't like it, tough. That's what love says. Have you ever noticed, uh, you know, I know, you know, it used to be back 20 years ago, I was kind of the young guy around. And now I'm starting to feel like one of the old guys around because I start to hear myself sounding like my dad. 
Avoid taking your hands out of your pockets when you're walking. Don't shuffle your feet. You know, that kind of a thing. But here's, here's where I want to go with that. Is, have you noticed that how rude kids of all ages seem to be these days? I mean, it, it, it just, it's just this, there's this rudeness about kids. And, and I've, I've started to wonder if it's that the parents are just rude to each other and the kids are picking up on this rude behavior amongst mom and dad and then they do that. Or if it's that the parents actually haven't taken the time to tell the child, hey, you know what? This behavior is rude. Let me help you understand this. This is what parents should be talking to their, their children about. Manners of speech. Something as simple as please, thank you, or excuse me. Children just don't seem to know how to apologize. They don't know how to say, I'm sorry for what I did. Will you forgive me? There's no consideration for others. It's always me first. Table manners seem to have been something that got left with the Queen of England. And, and answering the phone? Have you ever called up and got the, on the other end a, a teenager? What? Is this such and such phone call phone number? Yes. Uh, is your mom there? Who wants to know? I'll be right over with a big stick. You just stay there. There's even church behavior or traveling in the car with their kids. Parents just seem there there's just there just seems to be a level of discourteousness that is amongst us. And I haven't figured what I've come to the conclusion of is that we have discourteous parents raising discourteous children. And we're in trouble. Because nobody stands up and says, No, that is not the way we love each other. The, the, you know, what we call being courtesy, being courteous, Paul says it's loving. We are to love each other. It's not being rude. Moving on. Love does not insist on its own way, meaning it's not self-seeking. This is talking about seeking your own advantage, putting yourself before others. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, he said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others Better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Notice that he doesn't say, neglect yourself. What he's saying is in the process of looking after yourself, look after other people's interests too. What are their interests in this situation? Why are they interested in participating in what's going on? We just, you know, love never seeks our own advantage. When we operate in love, we're not out for our own advantage to the detriment of other people. You've heard this saying, I'm sure you have. Some people love people and use things while others love things and use people. And and love does not use people to gain its own advantage. It looks... Outward rather than inward. It takes the attitude of Jesus who said he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why we celebrate this table right over here or this beam. The the elements here is because Christ gave himself as a ransom for you and for me. 
Love does not insist on its own way. Now we come to the final pair in this section. Love is not irritable or resentful. It says not irritable. Or let me put it another way. Not easily angered. And that has to do with short term. While resentful, or let me put it another way, keeping a record of wrongs, has more to do with long term. To be irritable or easily angered means to be easily provoked or stirred up or irritated or touchy or yield to provocation. Now, understand this. We all have certain buttons that when they get pushed, something's going to happen. And I'll be honest with you. You push my button on the wrong day and I'm going to owe you an apology. Guaranteed. But it seems like there are some people, they don't have a button. They have a bunch of buttons. And they wear them right here. And they polish them up so they're really shiny. And then what they do is they make them a little bit like hair trigger. So if you just barely touch it, it goes off. And so their buttons are right there in front of everything. And their buttons are always going off and they're always looking to get into somebody's mud about something that was said, done, or didn't happen. And they're just always going off like a bottle rocket. That's what the short term says. And this goes along with patience, because in Proverbs 19 it says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. In other words, sometimes that button gets pushed, and what God's saying to us is that There are certain things that happen in your life that you don't have to die on the hill for. You can overlook it. And when you do overlook it, God kind of credits that to you. To be able to say, you know what? That's not a big deal. I'm not going to make a mountain out of nothing here. And I'm just going to move on. And it's not ever going to affect my life again. That's what happens when we start to love people the way that God has called us in this agape love. But a bad temper reveals an unloving spirit. Have you ever been around somebody and you just, you've heard the expression, we're walking on eggshells. Why? Because we don't want to set them off. And so we kind of are ginger and we don't, you know, and you got to be careful and you can't and ooh and uh. And it's just not the way God's called us to live. That's the short term, blowing up when someone presses your buttons. Others struggle more with the long-term side of this. Love is not resentful or keeps no record of wrongs. Being easily angered is a quick reaction which results in hurtful words and harmful actions. Keeping a record of wrongs is long-term decision to hold on to bitterness and resentment, to choose not to forgive. It is the difference between a quick flare and a slow burn. When Paul uses that word here, he literally means it means to count the evil or credit to someone's account. You know what we call that? We call that keeping a grudge. Now, I've heard of people who have actually kept a written record of people who have offended them and what the offense was. But you don't have to have a written record in order to violate this verse. All you have ever had to do done is, in your mind, blacklisted somebody from your life. 
Are you waiting to settle the score with someone? Do you have it of bringing up the past? I'm not talking about getting hysterical. I'm talking about being historical. That, that's one of the biggest issues that I find when um, I have couples in my office who are having some difficulties in their marriage. Both of them are historical. They both go back and they pull stuff up and it's amazing from how far back they will dredge up the past of the ugliness of life that was supposed to be forgiven. But they pull it up. That's, that's the true indicator. One of the true indicators that you've not forgiven somebody is when you go back and you pull it back up and you use it against them. Even though you, at one point you said, I forgive you, and then you use that against them again, you never really forgave the person. So, when you're not practicing love, love does not store up resentment and bears no malice. Love forgives all offenses and keeps no records of wrongs. That's why God loves us and he forgave us our sins in Christ. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that God reconciled us to himself through Christ, not counting men's sin against them. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. And, and God said in Jeremiah to Jeremiah, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. I want, I just, let me just talk about that just for a second. Because there are so many people that get this thing so messed up and it's so wrong. And I want to clarify something for those of you that are here. When it comes to forgiveness and people say you have to forgive and forget, that is horse roar and bull butter all mixed into one bowl. That does not happen. Because that's not what God does. God's not asking you to do something that he doesn't do. What God does is exactly what it says here in Jeremiah. I will remember their sins no more. In other words, he, he can remember them. He's just not going to pull them up and use them against you ever again. He doesn't get historical. If it's under the blood, it's gone forever. Your sins are as far as the east is from the west never to be brought up against you again. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, God doesn't bring it up and use it against them. And if we're going to love each other, we've got we've to act like God. You might want to pull it up and use it against them. It might be right here, and you're ready to bring it out here, but the Holy Spirit says, stop! And you can go like, oh, I don't need to say that. I don't need to bring that up. I don't need to use that against this person. I'm going to love them instead. I'm going to agape, unconditional, love them for who they are in spite of who they are. All right. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. So how's your list coming? All right, you thought I forgot, didn't you? So you should have some strengths and you should have some weaknesses listed by now. If you have only strengths listed, either you're very loving or you're not being very truthful with yourself. And if all you have is weaknesses, well, then you're either really humble or you're not giving yourself enough credit. 
try and keep that list in balance because I don't think there's anybody that's got them all in one, all on one side. It's a balance out between it. So we're just going to, you know, keep it realistic and we'll just, between your areas of strengths and weaknesses. Let's move on. When Paul goes on to say that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth, he means that love takes no pleasure in unrighteousness, in injustice, in any wickedness at all. Love never rejoices when somebody is mistreated, when evil wins out, when God is dishonored, or when God's word is disobeyed. Love does not delight when evil befalls another person. Love is never glad at another person's misfortune. Love never gossips about another person's problems. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And that's the contrast. Here's we're on that contrast one. Love rejoices when truth wins out, not evil. As Christ followers, we're to love the truth at all costs. We are to speak the truth with love, however. Don't get cattywampus on this whole thing and think I can just go and start spewing out the truth into everybody's life without serving it on a pat platter of love. And, and Paul's, that's what Paul's laying out here is what that platter of love looks like for us. And so... Um, the contrast comes then when we should speak truth in love. Scripture leaves no wiggle room or watered-down Christian love that accepts and believes anything without regard to biblical truth. We are to test it all. True love does not divorce itself from tough moral choices. We stand for the truth. We must love the truth at all costs. We must love people, but not soft pedal sin. Um, balancing truth and love, is it's not easy. It often involves confrontation. And most of us don't like confrontation. There are a few people that just go like, hey, bring it on. Let's get into it right now. You want confrontation, I'm going to pull it off and give you bare knuckles. That's not really very loving either. I've got to be honest with you. It's not loving at all. But most people just don't like confrontation, and so they they kind of avoid it. But what they do when they avoid this, this loving confrontation is that they're starting to give in to evil and instead of rejoicing in the truth. So where does this characteristic of love fit on your list of strengths and weaknesses? All right, so Paul has, has done this whole thing. He's lo- described love in positive terms and what love is. He's described it in negative terms, what love is not. He's described love with a contrasting statement. And now, finally, he tells us four things that love always does. And that's in verse 7, our last verse. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And we're just going to briefly take a look at those four things. And the first word for that he uses in this is that love bears all things. Or let me put it to you in a different context. Maybe that, this will help you. Protects. Love always protects. And, and the word that he uses there in, in the Greek language brings the idea of like a roof over your head. 
it protects you from the outside forces coming in, you know, like wind, rain, snow, cold, all that. It, it, it's that idea of protecting by covering. And, it, and it's just this protection by natural, by, it's a natural byproduct of love. Just like a pastor protects his church that he loves, like a shepherd protects the sheep that he cares for, like a parent naturally protects his or her children. That's the protection of love that God's called for us that he says always is present. Sometimes children call it overprotection. Paul still calls it love. Secondly, love always believes or trusts. The word here means to trust or to believe, to commit yourself to someone or something. Now, listen, love is not stupid or naive. And I don't think I even saw those words on the list that Paul had here for us today. It does not believe an obvious lie or blindly put its trust in an untrustworthy person. But love chooses to believe the best about people until it's proven different. If you hear a rumor, is it truthful? You don't know. It might be, but it might not be. Now, this is a long time ago in this church. But in the span of about a month, I had four different people come to me and say to me, Pastor Ken, so-and-so is having an affair against his wife. And I said, how do you know that? Did you see it? No, but so-and-so told so-and-so, and and they told me. Uh, That's third-hand information. And so right now, I'm not biting into that. Next person, same thing. The next person, same thing. The fourth person came to me and said, you have to do something. This is what's going on. You have to go do it. How do you know? So-and-so told me. Well, they didn't tell me. And if they told you, then you go and confront that dude. Well, that's not my job. I'm not the pastor. I just quit. You're the pastor. So what I did is I met with this young fella and I said to him, I've heard some rumors recently that are a little disturbing. And right now, my judgment on those rumors are out. I'm not making a judgment yet, but I'm asking you about these rumors with you to whether we're going to verify that they're false rumors or it's truth. And you look at me and going like, okay, what is it? I hear you're having an affair. Well, he didn't say he wasn't, but by the way the blood drained out of his face, his palms of his hands started sweating profusely, his mouth felt like cotton, and he couldn't choke out two words. I said, just nod your head if you are. So then we had to deal with the the truth In a loving way. So we talked about it and we worked through it. And guess what? Guess what was the most amazing thing? 
He was so much of a coward, he couldn't even tell his wife that he was having an affair. The mistress called the wife up and said, Hey, by the way, your husband and I, we're acting, we're playing house. You see, love has to come and it has to be brought to us in a way that we believe the best about people until proven otherwise. And the way that it's proven otherwise is when we have a conversation with the person and say, is this happening? Because what we want to do is we want to go back and love them enough to, to bring them to a place of repentance in Christ. That's the whole reason. We don't want that relationship between them and Jesus to be marred, to be torn apart, to be dis- disabled or disintegrated. We don't want walls to be built up between them and the rest of the body of Christ. And so it's the hard work of love where we have to go in and do what it does. But here's the great news. That we can always trust God because he's completely trustworthy. And when he tells us to do something, we can do it because he's got our back. Third, love always hopes. Love is unbashedly optimistic. Love does not dwell on the problems of the past, but looks forward to the future with confidence and grace. And finally, love always endures or perseveres. In other words, love never stops loving. Love never stops loving. If it stops, then it wasn't love. It was infatuation or heartburn. It's hard to say. It continues in the face of rejection and opposition. It bears up under insult and injury. Love perseveres because it is unconditional. It chooses to love people in spite of themselves. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And Paul says that without this kind of love, we are nothing. Nothing. So we're going to wrap this up now. The appointeth hour hath come for your lists. Please pass them to the aisles and I'll collect. (laughs) Just kidding. I don't want to know. But, so how did your list turn out for you? I hope you kind of kept a balance of strengths and weaknesses on your list. Now, what I'd like you to do is just take a moment. Because what are we going to do with these lists, okay? We've got them. Whoop-de-doo. Now what do you do with it? Well, what I want you to do is I want you to take the list and under strengths, I want you to circle the ones that you feel are really, you know, are really strong. And then under weakness, I want you to take a look at those ones and go, these are the ones I really need to work on and circle them. And then what do you do after you've circled on both columns? Well, here's what you do. You thank God for the strengths of love that you have And you ask him to help you with the ones where you're finding yourself failing a bit or a lot. That's simple. It's that simple. Thank you, God, that you put into me this desire for love. God, help me not to be envious of other people. Help me to see them and to be glad with them. Help me to rejoice when they rejoice. Help me to mourn when they mourn. That's what God, that's what this whole love thing is about particularly within the church. Now, um, someone suggested, nobody in this room, it was a long time back, that when you read through first these, these verses, 4 through 7, that instead of having using the word love, 
you insert your own name where the word love is. So Ken is patient. Ken is kind, and Ken does not envy. He does not, right? I get about that far, and I'm throwing up in my mouth. <laughs> i got some work to do, I'm just saying. But it's far better if you were to insert Jesus' name in there. Because this is what it would sound like. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He is not rude. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no records of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. He always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. And he always perseveres. That's, you want to know who Jesus is? That's Jesus. You want to know who God is? That's God. Do you know what God wants you to be like? That. Exactly that. Jesus is the only one who truly fulfills this beautiful picture of love. Rather than get discouraged over your own shortcomings, kind of like I do once in a while, cast yourself upon Christ who is perfect love. Jesus is perfect love. Meditate on the beauty of his character. And let God do his work in your life, transforming you ever more into his likeness by the power of his spirit. That's the secret to growing in love. Amen? All right. Um, We have reflective questions before we step over to the love table over here. Let me just run through them with you quickly. And by the way, if you're meeting in a small group this week, these would be really good questions to ask your fellow small group people because they will squirm. If you want to see somebody squirm, ask them. Or come to my office, I'll ask you. All right. Do you need, uh, who do you need to be more agape loving towards with patience, slow to frustration? What choices can you make to show your love to them? Because God is kind in all his dealings with us, what act of kindness can you do for someone you are not normally seeking to show kindness to? Someone outside your normal wheelhouse of kindness. If in your honesty with yourself, you have identified that you are dealing with envy, being boastful, proud, or you are often rude, self-seeking, easily angered, or you have a, bad ha- have a habit of keeping a record of wrongs, what is God asking you to do with these areas or area that you've identified as an issue? And which of the following do you have a gif- difficult time expressing through love? Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Which one is the one that you need most right now? Is worth celebrating 